Hello everyone and welcome to another episode of The Whole Tooth, a podcast all about sharks, rays and their underwater habitat brought to you by the Save Our Seas Foundation. I'm your host Isla and every episode I sit down with experts in marine science and conservation to answer your questions about sharks and the oceans. But this week is a little bit different because we are doing a crossover episode with another awesome shark-focused podcast, Beyond Jaws. Beyond Jaws interviews scientists studying sharks and other related fields and asks them all about their career journeys. And if you haven't given it a listen already, please do so. There'll be links in the show notes of this episode. And hearing about the different paths people have taken to get into shark and marine science is absolutely fascinating. And there's a lot of great advice in there for budding marine scientists. And it is co-hosted by my guests today, the brilliant Andrew Lewin and Dave Ebert. Now, these two need no introduction, but I'll give them one anyway. (laughs) Andrew is a marine biologist, science communicator and veteran of the podcast world. He launched Speak Up for the Ocean Blue podcast in 2015, another fantastic podcast that you should tune into if you haven't already, which spreads awareness of the challenges faced by the ocean and the people working to protect it. This turned into the Speak Up For Blue network, a network for ocean-inspired podcasts and long-form science content. And Dr. Dave Ebert is a legend in the shark science world who has devoted his life to studying sharks and has authored 30 books, including Sharks of the World, which if you don't already have and you love sharks, I would highly recommend getting your hands on a copy because it covers every species that we currently know about and contains a ton of cutting edge information. So I would definitely recommend getting your hands on that. Dave is also the founder of the Lost Sharks Project and is well known for his passion and work highlighting the rarest and most elusive shark species. He has led many expeditions across the world in search of them and he's even discovered and named quite a few species that are new to science, which he talks about a little bit in this episode. Now, Dave and Andrew began Beyond Jaws in 2021 with funding from the Save Our Seas Foundation and in this episode they chat about their motivations for starting the podcast. We also talk about how vital science communication is to shark and ocean conservation, how Dave and Andrew became interested in it, and they give some fantastic advice for budding marine scientists and communicators. We also, of course, talk about rare, weird and wonderful shark species, encounters in the wild and some really bizarre findings from the field. And I'll actually be interviewed by them on an episode of Beyond Jaws in a few weeks time. So if you want to hear me be in the hot seat for once, there's information on where to listen later on in the episode. This was a super fun and really varied conversation. We talk about all kinds of things from podcasting to careers in marine science to a deep sea skate that lays its eggs on hydrothermal vents. So grab a hot drink, strap yourselves in and let's dive in to our episode. Hello Andrew and Dave and welcome to the Whole Tooth podcast. How are you both? Very good, thank you. I'm doing great. Doing great. Good, good to hear. And I know on Beyond Jaws, you always say 
are you ready to talk about sharks? So I'm going to ask you guys the same question. Are you guys ready to talk <laughs> about sharks? Always. Absolutely. <laughs> Anytime. <laughs> Perfect. That is what we like to hear. Um, but first, I'm going to start off with a question that we ask every single guest on this podcast. And I've learned that it's quite a hard question for our guests to answer because a lot of our guests have spent a lot of time in the ocean. But that question is, what is your most memorable experience in the ocean? So Andrew, I will come to you first. Oh, I'll be first. I wasn't ready for that. I thought you were going to go with the, uh, the the more the the person who did more adventures than I have. Uh, I do have I do have an answer. Um, I was I was working as a, a marine mammal observer uh, in the Arctic Ocean in the Western Beaufort Sea, uh, just north of uh, a place called Tuktoyaktuk in in uh, Northwest Territories in Canada. And uh, my job there was literally to survey whales while there was uh, seismic surveying going on. And it was this, this, we were in an area, an aggregate area. So it was basically an, an area where whales were known to aggregate. So the, the, everything was shut down. Uh, we were just kind of traveling through. It was summer. So it was, the, it was like two or three in the morning and the sun was still up, but it was just about to go over the horizon. So it was as close as a sunset as you were going to get uh, during that time. And just over to my right was uh, a massive bowhead whale that just kind of came up and just like slowly just kind of came out of the water and then went back in just nice and calmly. And, and everybody on the bridge that we were, that was there, there's about five of us and it was, it was a Chinese vessel. So the, the crew could barely speak English. And so our communication was bad, but nobody spoke, everybody went quiet and we just, just like you could just hear breathing from people being like taking a sigh, just like that was the most beautiful thing. You have this, if you picture, you have the sun in the background, you have this massive, you know, 60 foot bowhead whale coming up right beside you and you just see the fluke go down like full on fluke. And you're just like, my job is the greatest. I love my job being out in the Arctic like that. Wow. So uh, I would say that would be my most memorable time out on the sea. Yeah. Wow. Oh, that's a really, really special one. Like just kind of, yeah 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 Um, I was just gonna say it's just so lovely when all of those moments line up oh yeah and you get to that point where you're like I just have the best job and it makes you feel incredibly lucky oh yeah oh wow I'd love to see a bowhead whale it's on my list (laughs) (laughs) well when you come over to Canada we'll take it we'll take you out and watch yes please yes please okay I'll be there um that's my invitation (laughs) okay Dave your turn What's your most memorable experience? Probably the day I almost got eaten by a shark. Would probably stand out. <laughs> I had a, um, I, uh, if I can quickly set up the situation, I, 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 when I was a graduate student in uh, South Africa, we went off to uh, my good friend, uh, Paul Callie and I, we went off to uh, survey the sharks up the uh, skeleton coast in Namibia, and something nobody had ever done before. And there was this area, it's actually more in central southern Namibia, an area uh, that used to be big in the diamond mining and crayfish area called Lutert's Lagoon. Anyway, this area had like a lot of seven gill sharks in it, which I was working on for my PhD. And so we got to this place and everybody said, oh, you got to get out there in the middle of the lagoon there. You'll find plenty of sharks out there. So we got to know this guy and this place is like a completely wild west town. And we borrowed this boat. Now this is, now this is a rowboat, okay? It's about 10 feet long about three meters, a little over three meters or so. And we rode out into the lagoon and there's no question. There's like just piles and piles of seven gill sharks. You chum the water around there. You had all these sharks 
coming up. This is you know back in the you know late 1980s, and so we were going out there and getting catching some sharks. And we're studying them, looking at their behavior, and, and looking at some of their uh, their biology and stuff. Well, one day we had one not on the hook, and my friend Paul was reeling it in, and uh, I was getting ready to gaff this shark to pull it in this. And this is about an eight foot shark to pull into a ten foot boat, and uh, as I'm getting ready to gaff this thing the water just turns white. And at first, you're kind of like looking at this thing like, what the hell? And this, this white thing's just going below it, and it, has the, it, it grabs the shark. And basically what, what it happened was there was this white shark came up on its belly in full display, bit the seven gill in its mouth, spit it out, and the shark's just going right by the boat. And now we're in a 10-foot boat, and let's say the shark was a lot bigger than the boat. <laughs> I can imagine. And... Um, and as the shark went by, it spit out the seven gills. I say, we still had we still had the shark on the line, believe it or not, the seven gill shark. We reeled it in. I pulled it into the boat, and we're kind of like going like, oh, and it's like the whole adrenaline is just a rush now. It's like, oh man, did you see that? That was awesome. And I'm taking pictures of this shark, of the shark, the bite wounds on the seven gill shark, and then all of a sudden, this sort of like feeling drops on you, like we're gonna die. <laughs> And so we look at each other and like, we got to get the hell out of here. So my friend Paul puts a bait on the hook, tosses it over. He hooks another seven gill shark. He's playing the shark to get it to, to distract the white shark. So the white shark's going after the seven gill. It's on the line. I'm on a boat. I'm rowing now about a kilometer, kilometer and a half, trying to get to the beach before the shark decides to turn its attention to the rowboat. And... Um, well, spoiler alert, we actually did make it to the shore and um, that, that night, and um, we had a really good, let's say, little celebration with Paul and I on the wildlife, uh, the uh, brown hyenas and the jackals that kind of came wandering out of the desert to see what the hell was going uh -huh. on, and uh, it, was, uh, it was one of those, like, it's really good to be alive tonight stories, and uh, um, yeah, that's, that was, that's my probably most memorable experience on the ocean and, and, and certainly with a shark and uh, I mean yeah as I said this boat to give you an idea it was fiberglass you could literally take your fist and punch a hole in the bottom of it if you wanted to so um, it was um, memorable <laughs> yeah not not a vessel that you'd uh, want to be in when a when a white shark's hanging around <laughs> that's for sure <laughs> and I, 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 I can't emphasize it it was a rowboat there was no motor to start up you had to row to you had to row to yeah. get there yeah my lord i'm so glad my story was first because that was that that topped everything <laughs> oh goodness me i mean that's probably the best introduction to it to one of those stories that we've ever had let me tell you about the time that i was almost eaten by a shark <laughs> and it didn't disappoint either um but yeah two very different experiences so on the one hand a very chilled and you know very beautiful experience very calm no one was talking and the other one <laughs> with Dave frantically rowing away from uh, from the Great White Shark. <laughs> yeah. um, so this, this... Next question? Next question, <laughs> yes. Um, this is a crossover episode or a first crossover episode. So I've actually been on your guys' podcast, um, the Beyond Jaws podcast, and we're actually flipping the script. So this time it's you guys that are going to get grilled. Um but before we kind of get into anything else, I wanted to ask you if you can describe for our listeners who maybe aren't familiar with the podcast, 
what Beyond Jaws is about um, and how it came to be. So how you came up with the idea for Beyond Jaws. Uh, this, this whole thing kind of started from um, Andrew invited me on to speak up for Blue Podcast several years ago. And I don't think I'd really ever done a podcast before. Um, and uh, we came on the show and him and I just hit it off. We just had the just a, an immediate connection. And we always joke because the stuff that we do, that doesn't get aired is really the funnier stuff that we can't we don't air because well it's probably it's a family show, but uh, we have to, we just hit it off really well, and then after that first episode, I think the first episode, correct me if I'm wrong, was on basking sharks, I think. Yes, and, it was. Uh, it was on basking. And sharks. then and then after that, he just started inviting me back on his show periodically. I'd come back from the field and he'd say, "What have you been up to, Dave?" And I said, "Well, this is what I just came back from." Well, come on the show, and I've probably been on. I don't know, 10 times or so now over the years. and At least. And we kind of, at least 10 times. Yeah, and I, we just started talking. We just got to talk. And we had a really good rapport on air. And we started talking about, hey, why don't we do our own, co-host our own podcast on sharks? And that's what kind of led to this whole whole experience. That, too. And I, I really got into it myself. Yeah, that's kind of how the whole the whole thing where it came to. We just started talking about, Let's do, why don't we do our own podcast? Yeah, and when we started talking about the podcast uh, for for Beyond Jaws, I mean, we didn't have the name yet, um, but the the idea behind it, and it still holds true to this day, is to get to know people who are in shark science, to get to know, you know, their personalities, uh, how they got to where they were, you know, their career background, um, to get to know some of the research that they've done, uh, and then you know, a lot of the times, like we've just finished our first full year, you know, we're, we're still you know, we're in our last season right now as we speak, but uh, we finished recording those uh, and we, and we discovered quite a bit, you know, and, and, and uh, it, it accomplished what we wanted it to was to give people an idea of what's happening in shark science, but also give that personality behind, you know, the shark scientist, you know, and, and the shark conservationists. Uh, and we got to go worldwide with that, which was which was a really special, um, a really special thing for us was to be able to speak to people. You know, we got to speak to people that Dave knew for for years. You know, where he went to graduate school with them, or he's known for thirty plus years. Uh, we also got to meet brand new people who are young. You know, with uh, with the symposium, with the guitar fish and wedgefish symposium, and and that was always that was really special because we got to meet some pretty incredible incredible people. Uh, you know, doing some wonderful work that, you know, we, I don't even know if I would have the guts to do it, you know, the way they did it. And it was just, it's just a wonderful experience so far. You know, we, we are all scientists, all three of us are scientists. Um, Mm -hmm. We started out as scientists and I was really interested, interested to ask you what, to you is the importance of science communication. So platforms like the Beyond Jaws podcast, the Speak Up for Blue podcast, and the network that you run, Andrew, um, the the podcast network that you have, which we'll talk a little bit about later on as well. Um, But you know, why did you decide to go down that route of science communication sort of alongside the science that you were doing? Well, it was was a bit of, uh, you know, lifestyle choice uh that that was that was intertwined with all of this um i'm a marine biologist that lives in ontario canada 
And so, you know, I'm surrounded by the Great Lakes, but definitely not by the ocean. Uh, and we, you know, I, we made the choice, my wife and I made the choice to stay in Ontario to, you know, raise our kids around other family and, and, and so forth. And it's been a great decision, but definitely a challenging one for a career uh, in marine biology. You know, growing up, you'd, you'd expect to have the travel and, and the, the passport is stamped like like Dave has, you know, and, and be able to travel around the world and, and be able to do that. And I've had, be, I've had the opportunity to do that through through jobs. But as my, as I had kids and, and they got older, I wanted to be or be closer to home. But I still wanted to have, uh, I still wanted to have an impact and and you know and have like at the end of my career say this is my legacy. This is what I've been able to do. Uh, and so I started. I, I was really involved in um, talking about the ocean just with family and friends. And I, I was getting frustrated at the fact that they didn't know uh, a lot of the basic things about climate change and about, um, you know, plastic pollution and so forth and, uh, and you know, what's happening with fisheries and so forth. And so, you know, I started to think about it and I'm like, well, there's, you know, you look on the Internet and there's really no, at this, this is back in, in 2012, 2013, 2014, and there wasn't really an area where you can go and like, there were a few blogs and stuff, but not necessarily... Uh, massive ones like like you would see on like mainstream media. So it wasn't necessarily available. You had to go searching for it. And so what I just thought, I said, you know what, maybe I should just start doing it myself. You know, I've got a bit of an entrepreneurial bloodline. And, and so I was like, maybe I can do something and, and have like not a huge impact, but like a little impact. So just kind of chipping away at, uh, you know, and trying to connect with individuals, just people one at a time, just saying, hey, this is the information that I've, you know, followed for a while. And so I started a YouTube channel just with ocean news and I would do it. My kids would go to bed. I would stay up. I'd do it in front of my fit, my Marine fish tank. And I would start to talk about all this news and stuff like that. And it, it was pretty good, but it took up a lot of time. As you know, editing audio takes up a lot of time, you know, adding video to that de definitely adds to that complexity and, and time management. So I was like, maybe that's not it. So I stopped for a while, but I still wanted to do something. And I started to just, a friend of mine got me into podcasts and I started listening to podcasts and then I started growing. And again, I didn't hear a lot of ocean podcasts. There were a few uh, and they were great, but they had stopped. They didn't continue. And I was like, you know what? I think I could do this. I could just sit down and talk for 45 minutes about, you know, about a topic. But then I started to realize like, it's going to get pretty tiring hearing my voice over and over again. I know my wife gets tired of hearing my voice over and over again <laughs> talking about this stuff. So I was like, you know, so I was like, it's time to like maybe bring some people on. And I've, you know, I've, we all, we've all gone to conferences and the people we meet at conferences and the stories that we hear are just fantastic. And that doesn't get shared with other people. That kind of just stays within our field. And I feel like that is something that would be beneficial to you know, listeners and to sort of people who don't get exposed to that. And you get the fun of marine biology. Like, I don't know about the two of you. I know Dave and I, we've talked about, but after we go to a conference, like a in-person conference, I know it's different now with COVID, but when you go to an in-person, you come out rejuvenated. You come out hopeful again. The collaborations you've made, the, the other projects that you've seen, the people that you've met, whether they be new or old friends, you know, you just, you start to get that impact. So I wanted the listeners to get that same thing. Um, so I got a lot of great feedback uh, from that. And I just kind of continued it. it. It kind of fuels me every time I do an interview, you know, I get this big rush, you know, of, of adrenaline to just be like, I just, you know, maybe I inspired someone to do that. And, and that's to do, to go into marine biology or to recycle or to do something. And that's sort of what, what the whole purpose of it was. And it's, it's been working pretty well so far. Mm. 
Yeah, I think I think pretty well as an understatement. It's 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 worked amazingly well. Um, <laughs> but yeah, it and yeah, you must you, you'll have reached like you say, you know, with Speak Up for Blue and also Beyond Jaws, like you've reached a global audience. So not just people who, you know, live in your own countries, yeah. but you know, around the world who I think even now, so even back in twenty twelve, there is a lot more podcasts and a lot more science communication about sharks and about the oceans. But there's still yeah. a lot of people that don't really know what is actually going on and or and or don't know how to help. Um, and I think that's where things like podcasts are really beneficial because they can they're very friendly um, and you're kind of breaking down science in a way yeah. that people don't feel as scary um, in a way uh, and, and not too big. Yes. And that helps them take it on board. Um, but yeah, really, really special. Um, and again, I will link to both of those podcasts um, in the show notes as well. Please, please do go and listen to them. Um, but yeah, how about you, Dave? I know you said that you've become somewhat of a podcast junkie uh, since meeting Andrew. <laughs> <laughs> so what does science communication kind of mean to you? Well, it's been, for me, it's been more of an evolution because when I started out, as I mentioned earlier, I was sharing my story about uh, surviving a sharks, uh, white shark attack. Uh, I uh, there wasn't we didn't have the we didn't have the same type of um, uh, of like communication globally like you have now with the internet, especially the internet and GPS and all this type of stuff. You just really you were kind of on your own. I was, you know, science communication was very different. I and I. I said out I wanted to be a, a shark scientist. That's what that was my driving force in life is to be a to, to be accomplished shark scientist. And a lot of the people that, that were sort of my mentors from that generation tended to shun um, doing any kind of media stuff, which was back then would be like a local TV station might come out and do something. There wasn't wasn't anywhere close to what you have today. And um, but I was fortunate. One of my advisors was a guy named uh, Dr. John McCosker, who is a director of the Steinhardt Aquarium in San Francisco. And he was one of the few guys, he was a solid scientist, but he was an excellent communicator. This guy could take like a complicated topic and break it down into a few sentences that the average person could understand. And so it was really, it was a, it, he was one of the guys that really got me going in this whole field. But I was very fortunate that he was one of the few people from that generation that actually was you know, felt science communication was important because a lot of the scientists in the field didn't really see the value or the benefit of it. But again, it was a very different landscape. Um, but having had John as a as a as an advisor and a mentor, I learned over the years. I would have opportunities would come up where I'd have, you know, BBC would contact me or some of the other European, uh, you know, networks would contact me. I'd do little different things or the, or National Geographic, and I'd do little things here and there. And then kind of my first sort of more serious, I'd say serious, more longer term thing is I would go to, when I was doing my PhD in South Africa, I'd go to fishing competitions and, and you know, they'd have sharks there and rays that I'd, I'd, I'd write up. Well, they had, there was a program in South Africa at the time called Top Sport and they used to have a crew out there at these angling, they were angling competitions and they would see this, this crazy American kid, you know, look at these sharks and stuff. So they would, came up, they started, I started talking to them, they said, hey, you mind if we like, film you and we interview you and it's like yeah no problem no big deal and I just go about you know doing what I was doing they'd, they'd do an interview and that turned into like a regular segment on this program which Top Sport was sort of like an ESPN type of thing and so I ended up getting this I didn't get paid or anything but it'd just be like hey let's go see what Dave has to see today and that was kind of my first regular 
experience and doing kind of a more of a media type of, of uh, experience, uh, you know, and again, it was very primitive, say, relative today, because it was just local TV thing. And over the years, mostly that was what I do. They, somebody would contact me years later, then the Shark Week would, you know, call me up and want to do something or ask me about some questions or BBC interview. But it was never anything I sought. I, they, they would just come to me. And a lot of it was because I'd built up this expertise in the field. My journey there is a lot different than, say, yours or Andrew's. And it was after I de developed this expertise in this field and became known for it. And, of course, as I say, my my uh, dealer, uh, Andrew Lewin, got me hooked on the uh, the podcast thing, which is to me is like the best media I've ever done. I just absolutely can't say enough good things about this. I just love this. I love this, this platform for uh, science communication. Yes, yes, definitely. I mean... That's one thing that I love about your podcast, and as and and as well with what I get to do is like talking to scientists. But I think a lot of people have a certain image of what a scientist looks like, um, so they think we kind of all, you know, sit in our ivory towers and, you know, but the beauty about speaking to people and doing something like a podcast where you get to know that person and what their career looked like, you see just the huge diversity in what being a scientist actually means. Um, and it sort of breaks down those barriers a little bit from people feeling like it's inaccessible or, you know, not necessarily meant for them. Um, and we're kind of like bleeding into my next question a little bit um, in that, you know, you, you have both spoken to a lot of amazing scientists, you know, including Dr. Andrew Chin, Jasmine Graham, Dr. Dean Grubbs, you know, these incredible scientists from all different backgrounds um and you know I wondered from these interviews and from your own experiences you know in your own careers what advice would you give to a budding marine scientist who's listening to this podcast right now so we we do get quite we get a lot of questions um so this podcast is all about you know answering questions from listeners and a lot of the questions that we get are how can I get to be where these people are? You know, how do I start my career in marine science? I, th I think the first thing to understand and what we've discovered, especially over the last year, and even just with our own careers, um, is the fact is, is there's no easy path. And, 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 and that could just be because it's hard to find a job, like just to initially to find a job and, and to establish a career just in general. But it's also life throws you a lot of curveballs, as we've seen over the past two years or so. Um, what I've noticed, you know, with 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 Dave's career, what I, I give advice to a lot of people through through my podcast and uh, on careers. Uh, and what I've noticed is it's it's a meandering type of of pathway. And a lot of times you're a lot of times people are have gone in and out of the marine science field. Um, based on skills that they've that they've accomplished or that they've accrued over that time, whether it be in or outside the field, um, and the the thing is just the difference of the people who make it, you know, to thirty plus years um, is they just don't stop. You know, they, they whether it's a, a five year pause or maybe working a different job or maybe working in in the line of marine science that you don't want to work necessarily for a long period of time, but you're able to get the skills that you need to get back to the path that you want. It's it's you don't stop. You just you can't give up, and that's the difference of the people who have made it to Dave's stage in his career. 
uh, compared to people who who are now working for a bank and and either way. And and I think the other thing is too is and there are other ways to 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 do marine science. I've worked on I've I've volunteered for board of directors positions. I volunteered. Uh, to do this podcast, like the Speak Up for the Ocean Blue podcast is not something that I normally get paid for. You know, a lot of it is is, is a hobby. It's because I want to stay connected to, um, to, to the work. And it's allowed me to meet some great people. It's allowed this Beyond Jaws to happen. It's allowed this podcast to happen. Um, and, the, and the work that I've done has allowed me to work with others to start their podcast or, or hopefully inspire them to, to do a podcast. So I think the, the, the real, the real advice that I would give is just don't stop. If you really wanted it, you're not going to stop. I was going to, I was just going to add like, yeah, I mean, a lot of people when they start out, they all, I know at least having, have gra- having grad students, they all start out, they want to be like shark researchers and then they kind of get into it and they realize like, well, what you have to do to be a shark researcher is go do research. And it's not just going out and doing the fun part of the stuff, but like 90% of the time you're sitting at a computer analyzing and writing up data. And that's really, and a lot of people realize that that's not quite what they want to do. And so, and that, and so that's fine. It's good you figure it out earlier in your career, but most people, when they come in, like with my program, because they have grad students, they all think I'm going to be a researcher. And that's, that's great. You got some focus, but you know, the, probably the advice I give them is like whatever avenue they pursue and don't, you know, if they don't decide that the research part isn't for them, that's fine. But they all should everything. Whatever they they do, they should they should just pursue it. You know, with 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 just a drive, just a focus. You got to be persistent, and above all, you got to be passionate about what you're doing, and that'll carry you a long way in your career. Um, you know, I don't I don't talk about it all the time, but you know, everybody you listen to the more senior people, like in my generation, as we call the Jaws generation of people, listen to some of the stories they they had and, and the journey they took to get there. I mean, I, I spent 10 years, I started up an aquaculture business and I spent 10 years raising abalone in California, but I kept working on the side, doing my shark research on the side as my time would permit. And, uh, you know, a lot of people think like, oh, you went to school, you did this, 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 and now you, you run this shark research center at Moss Landing Marine Laboratories. Well, as I said, I spent 10 years doing something completely different, um, but I just kept my hand in the field. And when that opportunity, you know, in my case, an opportunity came up to jump back into into the academic side and doing the research, and when that came, I was there. I was ready for it, and that's that's what you have to do sometimes. And you'll find everybody you listen to of our, again, this uh, from our more senior people that we had on there. Chris was Chris Lowe or Dean Grubbs, Rachel Graham. I mean, it's they all have a similar story that they were had to go off in a different direction for a while, but they eventually came back to what their passion was. And so, don't be discouraged. I also think too uh, we're in a, we're we're definitely in a time where um, I know it's it's difficult for uh, some groups of people uh, you know different cultures different backgrounds to be able to to get into the marine science field and, and the shark science field and I think uh, the, the, the that group of people are needed more than ever and and you see you know we're still not at the level where we're as inclusive enough within the field to, to get as many as we would, that, that we would like and we would need. And then we're working towards that and we're hoping to get more. And obviously I don't control that, but I'm, you know, trying to, to help it wherever I can. But, you know, the, I've, I've spoken to a lot of people who are from sort of uh, what we consider minority groups or, or people of color. And, and those are the, we need, 
you know, a lot of different cultures, a lot of diversity within the field. And so for those of, of you who are feeling, you know, um, disparate or just down because you can't get like, don't give up, you know, and, and, you know, there are a lot of people who are, who are willing to help you in any way that we can to get you the job that you want to help you within that career. So don't feel, um, you know, don't feel bad to reach out to, to like myself, you know, to Dave, we'd be more than happy to provide any kind of career advice that they, that they need. Yeah. Fantastic. Yeah. And I mean, so many important points there, like the first off being, you know, passion can, passion can get you very far, you know, retaining that, that love for what you do and the reason behind why you want to be a scientist is very, very important. But also, I liked also what Andrew said as well about it's okay if you aren't where you where you want to be immediately or if you're having to do something else, you know, for necessity or to, you know, to get to that point. Um, and as well, you know, recognising the barriers that are that are ever present, you know, in the field to particular groups of people. And I suppose that's, you know, that, that is definitely the role that we all have as scientists is to, you know, not only try and find our own space, but to create space for others as well while we're doing it. Um, because as you said, Dave, marine science, it's really hard. It's really hard to find a position or a job, um, especially now, especially just after a pandemic. It's really difficult. And I think now there's there's uh, even more so than now is, is you can set yourself apart uh, you know, talking about science communication is you can set yourself apart through science communication. Uh, me starting the uh, Speak Up for the Ocean Blue podcast, um, like I said, has led me to have job offers. You know, it led me to opportunities to be on TV. Um, there have been so many opportunities that I had that I never expected. You know, I, I started this podcast because I wanted to have, a, I had a mission to sort of inform and, and connect with people about, you know, marine science and conservation but it blew into something even bigger. You know, I've had op the opportunity to travel to Malaysia for conferences, to cover conferences. And, you know, I've, I've been able to, you know, host podcasts for the zoo, for Beyond Jaws. You know, like it's, it's a lot of different opportunities have, have come across my way because of it. But I've also been noticed by a lot more people, people that I never even knew, you know, were in the field or I never even knew, knew me, but they, they know my voice. They know who I am, um, and they know the podcast. And I think that becomes um, a really powerful tool if, if you're looking to get a job is to set yourself apart from other people. So everybody that I see, you know, that, that talk about trying to do a career, but they don't know where to begin or they don't know, you know, they don't know anybody or anything like you have platforms now that you can help build and, and you can provide yourself with a, an area of being like, I'm an expert. You know, I see people like Jada Alcock. Uh, so she has the, probably the best uh, handle around, you know, sophistication. Uh, she's fantastic. You know, she's entertaining. She's funny. She's educational. Uh, you can tell she has a passion for this. And she's on TikTok. She's on Instagram. And she's providing like this micro content, um, you know, and, and uh, the, the ladies of, of Minorities in Shark Science have started a podcast, Sharkpedia. And that's been fantastic. 
but it's it's it re- it allows us to remember who they are in the back of the heads because we're listening to their voices, we're seeing them on our social media pages. Melissa Marquez is another one, you know, um, you know, who's using social media to create opportunities. Not that they meant to when they first came out; it just happened that way. All the people you mentioned there, Jada, Armani, Megan, we've had them all on this podcast, and they were all so incredibly interesting to talk to, and you could just hear their passion, uh, you know, coming through their microphones. It was amazing, um, and. Yeah, it's 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 definitely difficult, but if you've got that sort of that drive and that passion, and I mean the the beauty of all these different platforms is that you can do you can do things where your skills or where your interest is. So you don't have to do a podcast. You could do YouTube videos. You could do TikToks like Jada does. You could do art like my friend Rachel does. Um, you know, there's loads of different things that you can do. And an employer, I mean my um, my institution, my research institution took me on because of my psychom background because they were looking for a researcher that also had experience in that area it's becoming a much bigger thing um so yeah i think all really really brilliant pieces of advice um and lots for listeners to think about um you know as they're trying to navigate this very turbulent and tricky and very changeable sea that is marine science I can't let you go without talking a little bit about sharks um, and especially going beyond jaws if we can in a slightly different way. So, you know, a lot of big sharks like white sharks and hammerheads, they get a lot of attention, which is great. Um, But, you know, something that we all like to do is celebrate the maybe lesser known or species that get less shouted about. And uh, one question that I wanted to ask you both is... You know, you've spoken to a lot of shark scientists. Dave, you've been in shark science a very long time. Uh, Andrew as well, you've been in the marine science field. I wanted to know, for you both, what has been your favourite or perhaps most mind-blowing discovery related to sharks? So something that you found out that has just made you go, wow. Well, one was actually just a few years ago... Discovered this new species of shark. It's uh, called a. It's a dwarf false cat shark. Uh, it's uh, for those shark nerds out there. It's in the family Pseudotrichidae, uh, and the genus is Planonassis. And what's interesting is this little shark that gets about sixty to seventy centimeters long, maximum length, but it has uh, what's called interuterine cannibalism, where the first first shark down, the embryo into each uterus, feeds in all of its siblings. And so you got this little shark, and we know some of the larger sharks do this, like white sharks, but here you have this like two little like 60, 70 centimeter sharks, two feet long, that it has this inner this unique behavior where like say the, the, the embryo, the first embryo in each uterus eats everybody else that comes down. That's how they nourish themselves until they get to such a size that they're born. And I thought that in the as far as recent discoveries, that was probably one of the coolest things I I think I've come up, I've discovered in the last, say, you know, decade or so. That was, that was pretty cool. I would say mine was actually, again, I would say mine was related to what Dave discovered uh, the second time he was on my podcast, which was uh, the the skate that was the deep sea skate that was uh, shown to, was it give birth, give birth around hydrothermal vents? Yeah, these are like skates that live at 2,000 meters. They lay their eggs 
in close proximity to hydrothermal vents to warm them. It's an incubator. It's 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 only it's the only marine vertebrate, and I think the only the only other vertebrate that does that is an extinct dinosaur, I think, or a bird. It's like it's it's the only it's one of only two vertebrates that are known to use to use thermal vents to incubate their egg cases. That was yeah, that was a, that's a good one. Mad. Yeah, I, I, I still tell people about that, and I never tell it right, but I still tell people about that, and it's just it, it boggles my mind that that becomes an incubator, like that those types of conditions become an incubator. Yeah, amazing. I I think if we I think if we come up with a game where we just name a shark and Dave has to has to come up with something cool about it, you know, I yeah. think we should play that game next time maybe. <laughs> Yeah. Okay, that's the next episode. That is the next episode. That's a brilliant idea. Yeah, and for listeners who are who are unfamiliar, hydrothermal vents are basically kind of like underwater volcanoes that are right very 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 deep down in the very deep sea. And a lot of people thought they were incredibly hostile environments and then as science has advanced we've figured out that actually quite a lot of animals live around these vents but they're incredibly hostile you know you've got a very high temperatures but you've also got a lot of quite toxic chemicals as well um uh, and i think there's also an octopus i think that lays its eggs um and incubates them on the hydrothermal vents as well but i've yeah thinking of a shark doing that or a, or a skate even is just mind-boggling mm-hmm. um insane um but my next question was, what, when we're talking about sharks and, you know, we're trying to get support for, you know, sharks, ray skates, chimeras, what is something that you wish people knew? I would say I wish people would, uh, it, it's, it's not necessarily more that they know, but just switch their mindset when they hear sharks. I still get when I talk about sharks, um, you know, I still like it. Like a lot of the times, for example, I, at work, I get a lot of times like, oh, you go scuba diving. You must, you're a marine biologist. You must go scuba diving. You know, truth be told, I've never scuba dived for a marine biology project, but I do scuba dive. And they're like, have you have you gone scuba diving, you know, uh, with sharks before? And I said, yeah, you know, I've, you know, nothing like crazy, you know, nothing that that that's I would consider dangerous, but like you know reef sharks that were about you know seven seven or eight feet long and a couple of nurse sharks here and there some black tips and stuff um and they're they're just it's all of a sudden there's like i can't believe you did that like that's you must have been so scared i'm like no actually they don't they're curious but they're they're actually really interesting to watch underwater and and it it's that fear right away it's that and it's the 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 opposite of 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 the jaws sort of thing in terms of it it creating a field it did it definitely still created that fear in a lot of people and, and, uh, and I still see that today. So I wish that we could eventually see that change and we're starting, I'm starting to see it with some people, but see that change in, in mindset around sharks and going from their mindless killing machines to their really fascinating, you know, apex predators that, you know, we need to learn more about. And, 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 and there are a lot of fascinating things. And I think that's one of the goals of, of beyond jaws is to, go beyond sort of the great white, go beyond the jaws sort of effect and, and to start talking about these interesting facts uh, and interesting people that work with these amazing creatures. Yeah, absolutely. Definitely. That's a really, really good one. Um, Dave, how about you? What would, what is something that you wish people knew about sharks? I, 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 just how diverse a group they are. And when I talk about the sharks, I'm also talking about the flat sharks, the rays, 
which rays are just really, if you take a shark and you flatten it, it's, it, that's a ray. It's a flat shark. And then the ghost sharks, the chimeras. Um, I, I don't think people realize, I, I know from talking to audiences, when you mentioned, when I mentioned there's over, you know, 1,250 species of, of sharks and their relatives, people are just floored by that. They don't realize just how diverse it is out there. Um, and so, and, and even though pe even people in the field realize there's more diversity there, but a lot of people just, they're always studying the same old boring white sharks, you know, or tiger sharks, or the same things that are, I mean, they're interesting, but there's just, you, you know, you don't need another person to study the same shark. And I, I encourage people, if you're starting out, find something nobody's doing anything on and, be, and become the expert in that. And that, that's going to set you apart from the crowd. And so I think that was, that's something that really people need to, young people should really look at is that they, something they could, that'll set them apart from everyone else in the field. And that's by just, you know, you know, just looking out, looking at what's there, you know, because another white shark study is probably not going to set you apart or a tiger shark or, but if you find some of these other interesting little sharks that nobody knows about, you can become the expert in it. And that's, that's no small matter. Yeah, definitely. And I mean, the, I mean, there's sharks that glow in the dark. There's sharks that are, that can fit in the palm of your hand. There's so many different types. I mean, that's something that really, really blew my mind when I was, when I was small, I was just handed this book with lots and lots of different types of sharks in. I was like, I can't believe how many there actually are. And of course, within that time, within, you know, those two decades, so many more have been discovered. Most of them, much of them by yourself, Dave. <laughs> <laughs> um, a lot of these kind of like lost sharks. Yeah, if I can, just, if I can, if, if I can just add, like, in the, over the last sort of 15 years, we've discovered and named more sharks than at any time in the previous 250 years. Since modern taxonomy started back in the 1700s, we've discovered more in the last, as I say, in the last 15 years or so. Um, I think we're about 15 or 20 percent of all known sharks have only been discovered recently. So there's a lot out there that still needs to be known. I mean, I have no shortage of species I'm working on in my lab, and uh, there's, there's there's a lot out there. And so and there, and and I'm just like some of the stuff I'm doing. I'm just naming them. We don't know anything about them. Like, okay, now we have a name for them. Now we can go out maybe and learn something about them. We're always going after after sort of the horse has left the barn and the barn door is closed. Then we're going in to say, hey, wow, we're losing all the sawfish. We need to be proactive and looking for things before they get to that stage. And there's a point that I've been aware of, and Will White in that episode we did a few weeks ago articulated very well, is that looking for look out there the landscape and see what what's out there that we don't know that's, that may have already disappeared. How can we get support for those kind of lesser known species? I know you guys did a, a season on guitarfish and wedgefish. How can we start to get the ball rolling on getting people more interested in those species that don't get as much of the spotlight? So a lot of it's just being able to get find, you know, highlight that and be able to find organizations, foundations that are willing to support that type of research. And, um, and that's really what's, what, you have, what's really you need to be able to do. To, to be able to do that type of stuff. And, and I, if I, I'll just give a shout out. Save Our Seas has been really, in my career, has been very helpful in having de been able to support a few projects over my career that, uh, that have highlighted some things that were not well known or were not even really known at all. Quick example, last year I named two new species of guitarfish. One's endemic to Madagascar, one's endemic to uh, the Gulf of Aden. And both those were came through you know, Save Our Seas uh, Foundation support. Otherwise, those things, you know, they may have happened eventually, but they wouldn't have happened otherwise. 
the way I see it is that we need to start talking about these lesser known shark species on podcasts, on internet, where we're creators or scientists and science communicators, whatever you want to call us, we need to talk more about these lesser known species. People will get interested in them once they find your podcast or your YouTube channel or your TikTok or whatever that might be. But the more that we start talking about them and start talking about interesting aspects to them, of, of them, uh, then we will get more people interested in those types of species. And then you can tell them how they can protect those species. And I think, you know, one of the biggest examples that I saw was the shark Stanley a little, I guess, doll or cutout that that they had. Um, one of my buddies, uh, Angelo Villa Gomez, who at the time worked for Pew Charitable Trust, uh, they wanted to get a number of sharks on CITES list on the CITES list. And so what they did is they ran a him and a colleague ran a campaign uh, called Shark Stanley. And what it was, it was a cutout of a hammerhead shark. And that was one of the, the sharks that were on the list to be into CITES, but there were a number of other ones. And so what people were doing is they would say, they would you could print out Shark Stanley, you can color them, you can do whatever you wanted to with them, and then you would take a picture on social media and you would tag, you know, use the hashtag Shark Stanley. And what people would do is they would, they would all over the world, people were taking pictures of this. And there was a great campaign, it was a huge like phenomenon that was happening in classes, they got they got a hold of people uh, in community groups and so forth all over the world. And they took these pictures and what they did is they printed out the pictures, the organizers did. And then when they were at CITES, they handed the folders to uh, the, the people who were voting for those sharks. And what happened every time the sharks came up for voting, lesser known sharks, these weren't all just hammerheads. They saw these pictures. As soon as they opened the fold, they saw pictures of people with Shark Stanley saying, hey, protect sharks. We want these sharks protected, not just the hammerheads, but all the other sharks that went along with it, and they all got uh, protections, or most of them got protections. That was a big deal. And so it doesn't take much to get people involved in sharks. It's not the fact that they only want to know about the sharks that are covered on mainstream media, or the only species like the great whites, the tigers, you know, the, the, um, all the different types of sharks. I'm trying a blank right now. But all these different types of sharks, um, they're, not, they're not just there because that's the only ones that they want to know. It's the only ones that they get information on. And so if we start to show more information on other shark species, the lesser known shark species, people will want to protect them too because they love sharks. And with all the different species that we have of sharks and all their unique qualities, it's not going to take a lot of time to get people interested in those. And um, that is a really great, you can tell that you both do a podcast because that's a really great way to bring it round full circle to a close. Um, and yeah, and our next episode will be uh, myself and Andrew Ask Dave Anything about any species of shark. Um, <laughs> I love that idea. I'm ready. I'm ready, baby. <laughs> bring it. Um, but it has been absolutely brilliant to talk to both of you about podcasts, about science communication, about Go and beyond Jaws. Um, and I'm so grateful for your time and for your knowledge. It's been such a rich and such a fascinating discussion. Um, but before I let you go, I just have one final question. This is the question that we end every podcast episode with. Um, and it's my favorite question. And that is, if you could be any species of shark or ray or skate in the world, what would you be and why? 
All right. So I have an answer for this and it's actually related to Dave because Dave came on my podcast and talked about this uh, either array or skate. I forget the name of the species. So Dave, you're going to have to help me out. But this species would actually go, this ray species would actually go, it, it lived at depths and it would go near a, it would handle, it would, it would just sort of lay its egg cases around and near a hydrothermal vent. And it would use the temperature as a cue to uh, lay these eggs. And so you'd have all these egg cases around hydrothermal vents. Now imagine that, like just the unique quality of why would you choose a hydrothermic vent uh, to almost, you know, quote unquote, incubate these egg cases. Uh, I mean, that is a, a, a unique quality that I would think is quite important for these for these ray species. And it's something that we just never knew really happened. And it was a new discovery. And it was just so great that Dave came on. I was the, I was the first podcast that knew about this ray species uh, of the discovery. And so he said, hey, the paper's going to come out the next day. Do you want to talk about it? I said, yes. So we had a great conversation about it. So that's sort of what species I would be. Um, and that's why is because of the unique quality of, of laying its egg cases around um, the hydrothermal vent. Yeah, I would like to be that one that goes and lays eggs by the hydrothermal hydrothermal vents, just so that I get the opportunity to go and see what it's like down there. <laughs> I think that'd be real cool. All right, Dave, what would you be? If you ask me, I would be a species that I haven't discovered yet. Great answer. I want to be that unique, that, that mysterious shark out there that, that, that Dave hasn't found yet. Great answer. On the next episode, we should discover you. There you go. And name there, you on there the you podcast. Go. Perfect. <laughs> well, I'm sure I have a few more discoveries to share at that time. So I'm, I'm 100% confident that you will. And I'll just listen to you describe them. <laughs> I'll spend a very happy hour listening to you talk about these sharks. Um, but yeah, I'm going to let you both go because I've gone way over time as I knew that I would. Um, but thank you both so much for coming onto the whole tooth and, and chatting to me. It's been an absolute joy. Well, thank you for having us. This has been so much fun. And you can tell we're podcasters. When you get three podcasters in the room together, you uh, you go for over an hour and a half. So uh, yeah. <laughs> thank you for having us. We, yeah, yeah, we appreciate yeah. it. Thank you, Isla. We really, I, I really appreciate it. Thank you very much. This podcast was brought to you by the Save Our Seas Foundation. It was hosted and edited by me, Isla Hodgson. Our beautiful artwork is by Nicola Poulos and the wonderful jingle you can hear right now is by David Knight. If you want to find out more about us and what we do, you can head to saveourseas.com or follow us on social media. A huge thank you to Dave and Andrew for coming on the podcast. If you'd like to listen to Beyond Jaws, speak up for the Ocean Blue and find out more about them and their work, there will be links to everything in the write-up for this episode. And a massive thank you to you at home for listening. If you like this episode, be sure to rate and leave us a nice review on iTunes. This just helps more people to find us and spread the word about how amazing sharks are. And be sure to subscribe so that you don't miss the next one. If you'd like to submit a question to be answered on the podcast, suggest a topic, or just want to say hi, please feel free to get in touch on isla at saveourseas.com. Alrighty, have a awesome week and we'll see you next time.